Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Well, we're finishing up our series on the way of wisdom. And uh, they've given me the, the final talk to wrap it up. And we're going to talk today about wise words. And I want to start with a poem by Lauren Child. She writes under the pen name of Ruby Redford. And I, I want to, I'm going to read it. We'll put it up there. And I want to see if you can find yourself in that poem at all. It's all right? There we go. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can also hurt me. Sticks break only skin, while words are ghosts that haunt me. Slant and curve, the word swords fall, it pierces and sticks inside me. Bats and bricks may ache through bones, but words can mortify me. Pain from words has left its scar on mind and heart that's tender. Cuts and bruises have not healed. It's words that I remember. So my question for you at the beginning, I know I'm starting all light and fluffy and humorous, so <laughs> but let's go for it, shall we? Time is short. What are the words that you remember? What are the words that haunt you? What are the things that have been said over your heart and over your life that are seared into your skin. Cuts and bruises have not healed, but it's words that I remember. So when God made me, long time ago, I won't tell you how long ago, when God made me, he served up a generous portion. You're allowed to laugh at that if you want. <laughs> So I, what I'm meaning by that is that I have a genetic and a hereditary predisposition to hold extra weight. So I will never be a skinny mini. My, my, my um, maiden name was Essex, and we, we laughingly joked about the Essex endomorphs. You know, we're all sort of round and jolly in my family. And uh, it's just it's what I've been born with. It's what I've grown up with. It's what I've battled with my whole entire life. And... Uh, and you know how kids are in school. Anybody know how kids are in school? I got, all I got called all kinds of things. I got, I got called, um, I think two of my favorite were hippo hips was one of them. There we go. Uh, buffalo butt was another. So those were some terms of endearment from my schoolmates. And, uh, you know, and, and they hurt. But actually the one that really, really hurt was there was somebody I knew who was quite close to me, who I loved and who loved me. And I walked in, I was walking upstairs into a room one day. They didn't know I was there and they were talking with somebody else and they were weeping, they were crying and they were saying, oh, you know what? She'd be beautiful if only she was thin. Ah, it just got me. It took a lot of years of therapy <laughs> to work through that one. She'd be beautiful if only she was thin. And you know these words that, that, that got spoken to me by cruel children, my colleagues at school, words, unkind words spoken behind my back, um, didn't compare at all to the words I said to myself. When I looked myself in the mirror, 
again and again, the curses that I would speak over myself. I look at myself front way, look at myself sideways. Nobody's ever done that, right? In the mirror, yeah, you know, and 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 just the vicious things that I would say to myself, the self hatred that was there, and. Uh, and that led me into a, a lifetime, really, of eating disordered behavior as I tried to make myself smaller. It's interesting, actually, how we want our men big, but we want our women small. Anyway, something to think about. But, um, you know, I, I, uh, you know kind of it led to a bunch of eating disorder stuff over the years. And, and that led to um, body image therapy. Body image therapy. Super fun, guys. So just imagine this. So... <laughs> What we had to do in body image therapy is we had to wear a leotard and tights. Keep in mind, I was at that time almost 300 pounds, leotard and tights. Just, yeah, anyway. And, uh, and so not only did we get to wear just leotard and tights, but then we had to go into a room where all the walls were covered with mirrors. Wonderful, so great. And, and then they said, okay, come in here with your leotard and tights, stand in front of this room, you're surrounded with images of yourself, and then dance spontaneously. I'm like, hell no, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> that was not a successful body image therapy session. <laughs> we did another one though, where we actually had to draw a picture of ourselves, of how we perceived our own body. And once we'd drawn that picture, we then had to write words on that picture of ourselves, particularly the parts that were the difficult bits, the painful bits, bits that we wanna hide. We had to write the words that we would speak over ourselves, and we wrote the words that other people spoke over us as well. And they were really painful words. It was really hard to do, to kind of look at myself and see what had been said by others, but mostly myself. And then, here's the exercise. They said, the next thing you need to do is you need to find other words to describe yourself physically and... Uh, and they said, but here's, here's the thing. It has to be true, and, and it has to be kind. It has to be true. It has to be kind. So I was thinking. I was just like, what on earth can I say that's going to be true when I look at my, you know, picture of my own body? I'm just like, I thought. And then I finally I came, up, I came up with one. I'm like, I'm substantial. <laughs> there we go. I got that. I am a woman of substance. I am substantial. <laughs> And the other one I came up with, I am weighty. <laughs> I thought, okay, I can do that. All right, substantial, weighty, those things are true. At least those are my aspirations of myself, and they're true about my body as well. And then I went home, and in a moment of perhaps insanity or, or courage, I spoke to my husband. I told him about my body image therapy session, and I told him about my words that I had picked for myself, and I asked him, this was, this was, yeah, I can't even believe I asked him. This is like, you know, when the, the wife asks the husband, does this dress make me look fat? Right? It's just like, don't answer. <laughs> right? Just don't answer. It's not a, it's a trick question. So, um, <laughs> so I asked my husband, what words would you use to describe me? So keep in mind, nearly 300 pounds. And he said, oh, that, he didn't even hesitate one second. He says, that is easy, he said. Beloved, beloved, we've been married now, this year will be 25 years, I think I'll keep him. <laughs> He's loved me through thick and thin and thick and thin and thick and in between, you know, and, uh, 
and I'm still beloved 25 years later. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway. We've been exploring wisdom literature in the Old Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Book of Job. But our inventory of the wisdom literature wouldn't be complete without the inclusion of some of the New Testament, in particular, the book of James. So many theologians class James as wisdom literature, inciting how it's actually it's a list of ethical and moral teaching that reaches back into the Proverbs, concerned with how to live our lives. And let's just look for a minute about what James says about speech. James chapter 3, verses 2 to 6. I think it'll come up on the screen. We all stumble in many ways. Oh, got to go back. There we go. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, says James, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He goes on to say, the tongue is also a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body, it corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I'm like, huh, James, tell us what you really think, <laughs> right? It's totally intense. <laughs> but when you think about the damage that can be done to our own hearts and to the ones we love by our words, perhaps it's strong enough. Life and death comes through the tongue. There's a guy named Don Coyas. He's a, a, a First Nations Aboriginal leader in Colorado, and he leads a, a, a group called the Wellbriety Movement. And it's for First Nations people on the road to sobriety. And, uh, and here's what he says about words. He says, words are important. If you want to care for something, call it a flower. If you want to kill it, call it a weed. If you want to care for something, call it a flower. If you want to kill it, call it a weed. It's the question that I ask myself, and the questions that we need to ask ourselves is, how am I using my words? Am I using my words to care? Am I using my words to kill? Are my words wise? Um, part of my work at Waverly Abbey, we're building a, a new monastic community. So it's kind of like old monastic, except I don't have to shave my head and wear robes. That's so pretty great. And, uh, but I do, so I'm doing a lot of reading, a lot of study about it. So I'm reading a book right now on um, new monasticism and socio-political involvement. Say that three times fast. You know, it's a pretty tricky book. I've got to have like a dictionary besides me while I read it, and it's hurting my brain. But... In it, I read this amazing quote on wise speech just the other day. So let me tell you what he says. The author, Evan Howard, actually a friend and colleague of mine, he says, wise speech 
is communication that provides penetrating insight into the state of affairs and is forged through the synthesis of the following. Number one, a life well lived. Number two, a broad range of observation and experience. Number three, a carefully considered reference to an honored set of values. And number four, a sensitivity to the audience. That's how he defines wise speech. Let's look at them for a moment. Number one, a life well lived. Some of the biggest and probably the most justifiable critiques of the church is the disconnect between what we say and what we do. Can I get an amen? All right. This is people struggle with it. We struggle with it. Does, and so I, I think as we're thinking about having wise words, do my words come out of a life that is well lived? Am I actually living? Am I practicing what I'm preaching? Am I actually living the things that I say I believe? And I've learned over the years that, you know what? We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. You guys, you know you are drowning in a glut of information, aren't you? Really, in our world, in our electronic world. We teach who we, we transmit <laughs> the very essence of our being to others by a life well lived. That's number one. Number two, a broad range of observation and experience. So I ask myself, am I a student of life? When I enter into a space, do I watch? Do I listen? Do I pay attention to the world and to the people around me? And uh, I've learned this. I've learned a trick. I've learned that life is too short to learn merely from my own mistakes. And I make a lot of them. And actually, it's much better for me to learn from other people's mistakes first so that I don't have to make them. And so when I meet with friends and colleagues, I try and surround myself with people who are smarter than I am. And the question I constantly ask is, what are the known failure paths? What are the things that you have discovered that do not work? And I learn all kinds of things there. But, I, but I, I know that for me to have wise words, I need to have a broad range of observation and experience. Number three, wise words come from a reference to an honored set of values. So I've, if I'm learning, if I've got life experience, how do I filter all of that then through the lens of the scriptures? Have I cultivated a biblical worldview through which my thought life and my speech get filtered. Number four, sensitivity to the audience. What is the right thing to say to the right person at the right time? I learned this the hard way in early marriage because I just thought I could say anything to him at all times about everything that came to the front of my mind. <laughs> and uh, that didn't work so well for us. And... Uh, and I've learned, actually, I think some of the things, I think some of the most powerful things we can do around speech is actually just shut up, <laughs> right? Bite your tongue. Do you really need to say that? And it's taken me years, actually, to cultivate this space between stimulus, stuff coming into my head, and response. Because, actually, the people in my life deserve my best response, not necessarily my first response which isn't always my best response. 
I see some nods in the room. Yeah, you understand that. <laughs> Sensitivity to the audience. I think when we're trying to think about what James has to say about wise speech, it's helpful actually to read forward just a little bit to see what he says about wisdom and heavenly wisdom in general. I'm going to read to you from James 3, verses 17 to 18. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So what if I was to filter my words through those filters? What if the things I say, if I went, all right, let's look at that. If, I, if there's something I want to say, I go, okay, is it peace-loving? Is it considerate? Is it submissive? Is it full of mercy and good fruit? Is it impartial? That's a hard one. Is it sincere? That's a really hard one. Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And so as, as we sort of think about how we can get practical with this, I could talk about a few things. I could talk about impulsive speech, which I just mentioned before. You know, when our words tumble out faster than our brains can filter. You ever had that moment where you're like, did I just say that out loud? I certainly have, you know. So these impulsive words. We could talk about impulsive words. We could talk about gossip. Of course, there's no gossip in the church, right? We never struggle with that. You know, even the prayer ministry is just like, oh, we should pray for so-and-so because I think he's dating his neighbor, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, gossip. We could talk about gossip. We could talk about lying. We could talk about slander. We could talk about how we slay people behind their backs. Oh, that girl, she's a little bit tricky. It seems like a mild word, but it can kill someone's reputation. Anyway, we could talk about all those things. I'm going to focus on one thing today, though. Something that I, well, I'll tell you what I call it in a minute. But um, those of you who don't know, you could probably tell from my accent. Well, you, you're actually all the ones with the accents, by the way. <laughs> I'm not from around here. I moved from Canada just about five years ago. And, and it's interesting, even five years in, people still ask me, what was it like coming out of Canadian culture into the UK culture? What bits were difficult? And, and, you know, there's a few things. You guys drive on the wrong side of the road, and, uh, and I had a broken headlight to prove it. But, you <laughs> um, but, but to be honest, I think one of the things I struggled with the most about British culture is I was really um, bewildered by the use of banter in your culture, and in your relationships. Now, if I'm, I'm a big believer in creating connection with people through a bit of lighthearted humor, right? Just kind of softens it up, you know, as a preacher too. You know, if you really want to nail them with something, make them laugh first, you know. So <laughs> that's a little trick, so, you know. And, uh, but, um, you know, you create connection through humor, can't we? And I know also that there's power in this little bit of self-depreciating humor. I know you British people are really good at self-depreciation. And, and I actually love preaching here much better than the morning or other places because there's no platform here, right? We're all on the same level 
I really love that. I love to kind of dismantle every platform that we've got. But um, cause it creates distance, doesn't it? You know, and so a little bit of self-depreciation helps us feel like we're just all on the team together. So that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what I call bitter banter. And I've observed people, these are my observations, coming in as somebody outside of the culture, that I've seen people hide and emotionally shield themselves behind a wall of banter and replacing, you know, human connection, real authentic human connection with jibes and jokes. And I've struggled in a number of instances. It's like, how can I get to know you, whoever you is, while you are fortified behind a wall of lighthearted wordplay? You won't even let me in. I don't even know who you are. Does that make sense? I just have really struggled with that. I've observed all of, and this is in the church, by the way, in the church. I've observed public shaming in the name of fun. I've, I've seen lighthearted jibes and banter all of a sudden twist and hit home and cause hurt. And I've had conversations with many people who, in the face of bitter banter, laugh in public but go home to nurse their wounds. And when I've challenged people about it, because I will, here's what they say to me. They say, oh, you know what, that's just... That's just part of British culture. This is, you know, the love language of the British is, you know, um, lighthearted torture. You know, <laughs> it's just how we love each other, you know. And, uh, and I, you know, here's, here's what I have to say about that. I think we all have a responsibility to take our culture and our cultural preferences, whatever culture we come from, me Canadian, you guys British, or whatever other culture you're a part of, and examine it in light of the culture of the kingdom of God to see if it lines up or not. I don't think it's good enough to say, oh, it's just part of my culture. Remember the quote that I used earlier, words are important. If you want to care for something, call it a flower. If you want to kill something, call it a weed. And I think if what's required for us, if we want to have wise words, actually, it's not just what comes out of our mouth. We've got to drill down a little bit deeper and get to the heart of the matter. Here's what Jesus says. Luke 6, verse 40, 45. It says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. So if we've got prejudices, if we've got attitudes, if we've got judgments in your heart towards people, it's going to come out. It's going to come out in our body language. It's going to come out in our tone. It's going to come out in our words one way or another. When we least expect it in unguarded moments, that bitterness, the bitter banter, you know, in the beginning, God created a universe with words. And as a writer and as a speaker, I know that we do too. We create universes with words. Any parent will tell you they know that they are crafting and creating the universe of their child by the words that they use. And so my question to you, and my question to myself, 
What kind of words are we building with our words? In our circle of care, in our circle of influence, in our friendships, at work, in community, what kind of word, what kind of world are we crafting with our words? And, you know, if we talk about the power of the tongue in this current day, we could talk just as easily what I call the power of the thumb. <laughs> so what words are we using in our current modes of communication? WhatsApp? Twitter? Social media? I'm not saying Facebook anymore. I know you've all left Facebook, so I'm left behind. <laughs> Snapchat or whatever, you know, the dancing one, whatever the dancing one is. TikTok. <laughs> I think, I think Pete Gregg should have a TikTok account, don't you? I'd love to see that. That would be so fun. Anyway, <laughs> what words are we using online? And what kinds of worlds are we creating? I have had people say to me stuff online that they would never, ever say to me face-to-face, -face, hidden behind the anonymity of that screen. Most of us, most of us have experienced someone in our lives who is wise, who's weighty, who's substantial. Maybe they're quiet, but when they speak up, everybody in the room listens. Have you got like somebody like that in your life? Some of it's our grandmas, you know, our grands. And, uh, but there's these people, they just carry a quiet wisdom, gravitas. You can feel it in their word, words. You know when they come into a room that wisdom has entered the room. And their impact far outweighs the number or the volume of their words. That's who I want to be when I grow up. I want to be like the wise. You talk about the ninja. It's like, <laughs> I want to be Yoda, you know? <laughs> Wise with words. That's how it would be when I grow up. <laughs> That's right, Jedi. Yeah, I do want to be a Jedi. Anyway, so. Um, <laughs> I think it's really important for us to inventory our speech. Guys, you know what? This is one of the primary ways we can differentiate ourselves from our culture. One of the primary ways that we can shine as children of light in a dark generation the way we weld our words, particularly if we make a choice to choose wise words that are characterized by care, by loving connection, words that communicate to ourselves and to others the truth and the eternal reality that we are and that they are beloved. So we're approaching Lent. I got a challenge for you for Lent. You guys up for a challenge? <laughs> you know, so maybe Lent, sometimes people fast, what, coffee, alcohol. Some people fast social media for Lent. What if you were to fast bitter banter just for 40 days? I was saying that to my husband today. He's like, well, they're just going to stop doing it for 40 days, and then they'll start doing it again. Like, what's the point? <laughs> but you know what? If we begin to try and be intentional about our speech, filter it through What's the wisdom of heaven look like with my words? After 40 days, the environment around you and the ecosystem that you create relationally might be something altogether different. It's my challenge. What would it be like for you to fast bitter banter, holding people at a distance, 
through humor and levity? What would it look like for you to draw near to people with authenticity, warmth, and care? Imagine what could happen. Maybe Jesus would be revealed in and through you. I don't know how many of you related to that poem that I shared at the beginning. I don't know how many of you related to my story of just looking at yourself in the mirror and just cursing yourself or feeling the weight of other people's curses and unkind words on you. What I really love to do uh, is to just give us an opportunity to, to bring that place, to bring those spaces uh, before the Lord. And um, so uh, how are we going to do this, guys? terms of doing some ministry we could do a hands up you could that feels a bit vulnerable but are you guys up for it are you safe with each other remember like oh, maybe i'm maybe i'm not <laughs> okay let's let, let me just pray for a second we'll get a sense of, of what god wants to do tonight I'm going to read the poem again. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can also hurt me. And sticks break only skin, while words are ghosts that haunt me. A slant and curve, the word swords fall. It pierces and sticks inside of me. Bats and bricks may ache through bones, but words can mortify me. Pain from words has left its scar on mind and heart that's tender. Cuts and bruises have not healed. It's words that I remember. And so I, I just want you in the quiet, maybe close your eyes and set your heart before the Lord. What are the words that have hurt? What are the words that have been spoken over you that haunt you like a ghost? For me, right? She'd be pretty if only she was thin. That, that haunted me for decades. What are the words that pierce and stick inside of you, that ache through your bones, that have humiliated and mortified you? What are the words that you remember? Let's just sit with that for a minute. And when people have spoken painful things, untrue things, unloving things over us, it's one thing to, it's almost like um, somebody chucks something out of you, at you. It's one thing to duck and dodge or even get hit. It's another thing to catch it and put it in your pocket. 
So how many of us have come into agreement with those words that have hurt us? And have let that define our reality of who we are. I just want to invite you, just in the presence of the Lord here today, in the presence of this community, to renounce your agreement with untrue and unloving words that have haunted you. I'm going to pray a prayer. You don't have to pray out loud, but I'm just going to, if you want to join me in the quietness of your heart, you can. And this is a spiritual transaction. This can and will change you. Lord, you know what has been spoken over me, what's been said over my life. The unkind, the untrue, the unloving words. You heard them right along with me. And Lord, I just want to break my agreement with those words in the name of Jesus. Where I have taken them unto myself and accepted them as my own. I just renounce that in Jesus' name. And Lord, in the quiet, I place myself before you. And I ask the question, who do you say I am? And I listen for the answer. Who do you say I am? What do you want me to know, Jesus? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you lead and you guide us into all truth. Truth about who you are. Truth about who we are. And we thank you for your truth that sets us free. Amen. What I want to say to you, you may or may not have heard something, heard something. In the quietness of that moment, something might have bubbled up inside of you. You maybe even had a picture or God reminded you of a scripture or just a kind word rising up in you. And uh, write it down when you get home. Maybe stick it on a post-it note. Put it on your mirror when you're tempted to do this and do this. Write it on your mirror. Who does God say you are? I know for sure, I know for sure he says over each and every one of you that you are beloved that you are beloved I want to look every single one of you in the eye actually I'm gonna here's what you do I want you to say I want you to say I'm beloved beloved. now I want you to say it like you mean it I'm beloved I want you to turn the person beside you and the introverts will hate this it's okay it's good for you turn to the person beside you so you're beloved you're beloved 
You are beloved. <laughs> yeah, you are beloved. Yeah, yeah. Ah, thank you. I receive it. I receive it. And what I'd love to do, for some of you, you know, that was, was helpful in this little time of prayer at the end. Others of you are like, oh, man, this is really kind of uh, triggered me a bit. My heart is still hurting. And so we've got a prayer team here who would love to pray for you. And so just feel free at the end. We don't want to single you out, but when everybody's sort of milling about and chatting, if you want to come up to the front, and uh, the team would love to pray for you and listen to God with you so he can rename you beautiful. He can rename you beloved.